This is September 24th, and this is the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. And welcome back to the Bruins Beat on CLNS Media. My name is Evan Marinovsky, and as you can tell, my voice is very bad right now. I don't know if it's a cold. I don't know if it's allergies, but I think it was around Friday night, my voice went. And no, it was not anything related to nightlife. It was randomly just decided to go. So my voice is slowly coming back. If I had to record this podcast on Saturday, I I, I couldn't talk. So I'm glad at least I'm able to talk, but my voice is, is not great. But luckily, I had on a great, great guest today, John Bucci-Gras uh, of ESPN, Sports Center host, hockey uh, extraordinaire for ESPN. He is as good a guy as you can find. Um, and he came on to talk about the Bruins because this is a Bruins podcast. And we're, st- we're, we're getting really, really close to the start of the regular season. So we talked about um, what the Carlo and McAvoy deals mean. We talked about different things in the lineup. And then we got into who he'd pick for his hashtag Bucci overtime challenge. And we talk about hockey and ESPN. So I think this is really interesting. Uh, it has your typical Bruins talk, but it also has some, some, um, some national talk, some, some, uh, you know, hockey television talk with ESPN. So I think you'll like this. I do. Now I said about everything, but I really mean it. You, I think you'll really like this. So without further ado, here is my conversation with John Bucci Gross. And we're here with John Bucci-Gross. John, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm doing great. How's How was your uh, – well, it's not really an off-season for you, but uh, you're a big hockey guy at ESPN. How was how, how do you get through the off-season without any hockey? <laughs> well, I have, I have varied interests, so it's a good way to uh, recharge the battery after a long season of uh, NHL and college. So uh, it, it, it's good to recharge it. and. Um, and good to look forward to it and good to miss it. So, uh, so yeah, so I, I, I enjoy uh, the recharge season. Obviously, you're a national guy, but is there any one specific team that you watch more than everybody else? Uh, not too much. I like to watch good teams. So, you know, I'm going to watch teams that are doing well and that entertain me and that have good players and players that are fun to watch. So, uh, so yeah, you know, the Bruins and the, and the Lightning and the Penguins and this year certainly Colorado is going to be – a team I'll watch a lot. They should be a lot of fun. Vancouver with the young players, kind of watch them on the rise. That's always fun to kind of check out. So it's a – my eyes wander around to different teams. But, yeah, you, you, know, you like to watch the best players and, and, the, and the trendy teams. Yeah, well, it seems like the Bruins are going to be one of those trendy teams, at least they have been in, in recent years. Um, obviously, last week the news broke. First, Charlie McAvoy signing, which we've talked about on this podcast, but I'll talk about it with you a little bit. Obviously, McAvoy, three years, uh, $4.9 million per. And then the day after this podcast dropped last week, uh, the Bruins somehow, which everyone's getting on me about this. I'm surprised that they kept Brandon Carlo under the cap. Two years, $2.85 million per year. John, Sweeney's known for these great team-friendly deals, but for this term and getting it under the cap that they had, that is incredible work by Don Sweeney, don't you think? Yeah, to get to get McAvoy and Carlo combined at that number is, uh, you know, certainly there's other teams that would certainly trade guys, make them 
seven million dollars for those two guys. You know, so there's a lot of teams, but even just defensemen making that much, they would trade for those two guys. But their age, in terms of a pure hockey trade, um, like I said, there's a lot of teams that would trade an eight million dollar player for for both of those guys. So it's uh it's great when you can get young guys in, in every sport, uh, especially you know football and, and hockey. Uh, to get those guys, whether it's a, a young quarterback, you get him under at a good salary before he explodes. That's just, obviously McAvoy is going to end up being probably an eight to nine, eight to nine million dollar player. Carlo will probably settle into a, a five to six guy uh, down the road. So yeah, that, that's pretty amazing. They got those those two guys at that number. But see, the thing with McAvoy is, and I've argued this since the signing. I feel even though it wouldn't have been under the salary, they would they would have had to move some people around. If they signed him long term to let's say a six and a half million dollar deal and you sign him for six years, you then don't have to pay through the nose on his contract in three years when he's probably going to be an eight to nine million dollar guy. Do you think that maybe they should have went for that long term deal or do you think the short term you know, win now, stand to the cap mentality was sort of the better route that they took with McAvoy. Yeah, I think it, that's probably a better route. They'll have more cap room then. Um, it gives them more flexibility in this window as their key players are over 30 years old now. So, you know, the, it's, the window won't be open long. You know, Krejci and, and Bergeron and Marchand, these players can hit walls pretty quickly sometimes when they get to their 30s. Sometimes they can keep going, but, you know, it's – We'll see. Um, so uh, I, I think overall, I think that was the right tactic to me. So right now it's training camp. The Bruins are about not ha- quite halfway through it. It's about nine days until the start of the regular season. The lineup sort of starting to take form. The Bruins don't have a lot of holes. Every major hole is pretty much, you know, completed. The big question, obviously, was was the right side of David Krejci with the way Bruce Cassidy's been talking. <clears throat> It's been Carson Coleman that's sort of getting the confidence to, you know, he, Cassidy's expressing that he thinks Coleman will be the guy uh, on David Krejci's right side. So that means there's really only one roster spot available. It's on the third line. A guy gunning for that is David Backus, and he's sort of been a hot topic around here for a really long time. Where does David Backus fit into this lineup, if at all? Yeah, that's a tough one. He's obviously a bubble guy at this point. Um you know, that, that's a year-to-year thing. I'm sure it's almost a month-to-month thing of how he's skating, how he keeps up, if he's injured, if he's nicked at all, how much does that slow him down? Uh, yeah, his role is not as important as it used to be, perhaps. And so his you know, he really is diminished in a lot of ways from the changing game to his own offensive skill. Um, and, you know, obviously there's some flexibility with him and some, some things he can do, multiple things, which is always nice. But certainly his days are numbered, and it's uh, he's hanging on by a thread. So it's just a matter of how Bruce Cassidy thinks he can help or fit. And you know, but it, it's a uh, time. The battery's getting low on David Backus. So one thing I think we're I think Backus will fit into the lineup is against the heavier teams. I think that's a pretty uh, wide widely shared opinion. Um, Joe McDonald the, of the Athletic asked Backus. Uh, I think the first day of training camp. If, you know, obviously with the Blues winning the Stanley Cup, they won with a heavy team, they were physical, kind of like the 2011 Bruins, but obviously 2019 with the league trending towards a shiftier game, a faster game, a more skilled game, 
the Blues winning the cup kind of came out of left field, not just because they were a last place team on January 1st, but because they are a heavy team. They're not, I mean, they're, they're kind of fast. They get the fast guys, but they play a very heavy game. And Joe McDonald asked back is, you know, does that give any hope to him for, for, um, for the league trending in the heavy direction, which would obviously benefit Bacchus. And I tweeted out uh, right after that happened, I said maybe the, Bru- the, the Blues winning the Stanley Cup was a good thing for Bacchus in that, you know, NHL is a copycat league. Teams try to emulate the year before his cup winner, sort of building their lineup. Are teams going to start to build their lineups a little bit more heavier? And could that benefit David Bacchus in a sense? Maybe revitalize his career. Yeah, I don't. I think it's too late for that. It, you still got to be able to skate and move, and and back check relentlessly with energy and stamina. And obviously, young guys have have more of that. Uh, you know, the Blues. It, it was a high. You know, it was a high risk game in sort of in terms of you know you play basically for only a couple of scoring chances, and you play very conservatively, not very exciting, and you hope you hit on those couple of chances and then get great goaltending yourself. That's pretty much what that is. I I don't think that's a long term recipe for success. And uh, like I said, I think it was just man, everything just worked out perfectly, and I don't think teams will copy that too much. Yeah, I don't think they will either, but you know, there could be teams out there that try it. I don't think they'll be looking to add David Backus to their roster. He's six million a year. He's older, he's slower. I mean, I think, you know, his days are numbered, if not completely over. Um yeah. but uh moving on to other parts of the lineup, uh it feels like guys like Anders Bjork, you know, uh Nick Ritchie, they're having good uh uh training camps. Where do you think that prospects, um, and those guys aren't prospects, but where do you think different guys could fit in throughout the lineup? Yeah, you know, that's obviously so fluid. And the guy, you got to get hot when you get your chance. And you're a young guy, you get chances in your career, and you got to produce. You can't go seven games without a point. You got to pop one in kind of early. Uh, you really got to earn your keep. I mean, it's, it's an emotional game. Coaches are coaching for their career one year at a time. And uh, so they're not going to wait around too much. You've got you to bring it. you got to bring it early. And that, that often can define a career. If a guy just gets it going, gets some traction, there's very little difference between many of these prospects, many of these players. It's just a guy that gets lucky with a fit, with a line mate, and then just pops some in, takes the pressure off, gives him confidence. You know, keeps getting chances to stick around, and then you kind of forge out a career. But you know, it's just like I said, it's a fine line between hundreds and hundreds of guys in professional hockey, and it really is like a scratch ticket. You just gotta everything is just kind of come your way, and and then you get that chance and you stick, and then you have a career and you make some money and you get that second contract, and that's all they're trying to get. Yeah, I mean, Bruce Cassidy is known to have a quick trigger finger. I mean, he's great at putting guys in the lineup, but, you know, if he's having a bad half of a period, he's not, you know, I mean, there were a lot of times last year when Trent Frederick would get brought up to the third line center role, um, uh, Jacob Forsbacher Carlson, and they did not play the third period. So that's going to be really interesting to see sort of who Cassidy kind of trusts among those younger guys, among the guys who aren't regulars in the lineup, not your Bergerons and Marchands, you know, your, your bottom six. So that'll obviously be interesting to see. Um, 
and and John, I want to ask you this question because it's specific to you. Obviously, you know, um, for those who don't know, for the for the amazing listeners who don't know, um, hashtag Bucci uh, Overtime Challenge is one of the best things going during the National Hockey League season, uh, where people tweet out the hashtag and and when when a game goes to overtime and guess uh, who's gonna uh, score the overtime winner for each team. I can say I've never won it. Um, <laughs> it's it's very tough to win. There's a lot of players on the ice, um, and there were a fair amount of overtime games last postseason. I don't think there were as many as years past, though. And maybe that's just a Bruins-centric thing by me. But there, especially with the Bruins, there were not a lot of overtime games, if I'm correct. Yeah, last couple of years, we haven't had many, especially like in conference finals and finals. It seems we get away from that. You get off to a hot start sometimes. And I don't think two years ago for any in the conference finals or the final. And that was kind of interesting. Like I said, a really blistering start. But, yeah, it's a fun game. I'm surprised it still has the legs it has. I thought it would kind of maybe blow over by now. <laughs> um, I, keep trying to, I keep trying to add tweaks to it. But, man, people still go nuts, especially around playoff time. I, I, I pondered about having doing some sort of app and things like that, especially if, you know, gambling becomes more pervasive and maybe we do it for 99 cents and then we have cash winners and all kinds of things like that. So it's, I'm trying to find – ways to, to, to give the game legs and uh but hey maybe people people to keep enjoying it it's simple it, it kind of heightens the the viewing pleasure for people especially if your team's not involved uh you, know, you don't need too much more help when your team's involved in a playoff overtime game but certainly if you're a neutral observer it's kind of fun to latch on to a couple of guys and, and stuff so yeah it's been really fun to connect with the fans give away a couple hundred thousand dollars uh to hockey charities and uh, I have a little clothing line where it's kind of fun to design new stuff and, and sell them. And I do everything myself, go to the post office and package it up and send it to the people. And it's just kind of fun, that little connection where I do that. And then they go to their mailbox, and they open it up, and bam, they have a T-shirt for me. And so that's really it's, it's really been a neat, got a big kick out of it, and it's been a lot of fun. Well, it's a win-win for everybody because even if you don't win, it's the the thrill of trying to. And and even if you do yeah, win, you, right. yeah. you everybody no one's going to say no to free clothing. I mean, if if watching right. and guessing if watching a hockey game and guessing an overtime winner gets somebody free clothing, I mean, no one's not going to yeah. do that. So I'm totally not surprised <laughs> that it's had the legs it has because it's. I mean, it's and some people, and some people, especially guys, just like to be right. Oh, look, yes. Look how smart I am. Nope. I knew I knew that guy was going to score. So it's uh. A lot of it, that's enough for people just to like, get the retweet and uh, and get their public notification that they are indeed uh, bright. Well, I, it, it's true. And last, uh, during the, uh, I think it was the Stanley Cup, they have a, a pool because there's so many national reporters and so many people there. They have a pool um, that you put your name down and you get a random person who scores the game winner. And everybody puts in some money and whoever – just randomly gets the right person who scores the game winner gets all the money. So it's this huge thing. And it's such a, yeah. like a macho thing. Like, Oh, I won, I won, I won it. And, and so it's, <laughs> it's so fun to do. Cause it's, you know, it, it, and it's, it's totally luck. So I brought this up because who is your go-to Boston Bruin for overtime game winners? Well, the thing is, it's really, and I try to tell people this sometimes, that, it, that overtime goals are completely random events. Agreed. If you, so if you take a superstar, all you're doing is putting yourself at a big pool of winners because most people default to the good players. 
So as people, maybe the people, some of the people listening don't know, you, you go on Twitter and you, if the Bruins are playing the Maple Leafs and it goes to overtime, you pick one person on each team and you might take Austin Matthews and Brad Marchand. But if Austin Matthews scores, there literally could be 700 people who play who picked Austin Matthews. I got anywhere from 10 to 20,000 people who play the Blue Overtime Challenge when a game goes to overtime. So there could be seven, 800 people, and I'm only picking 10 winners. I, I'll get bankrupt by postage if I send everybody a T-shirt. <laughs> so, so, so you might have 700 Austin Matthews. Now, you know, if you took a fourth liner or a third defenseman, he scores, now your pool might be 40 people. So now your odds are, are, you know, one in four you're going to win a T-shirt as opposed to the Austin Matthews. So that's the thing uh, in terms of strategy and analytics for the Poochie Overtime Challenge. You're always better off taking one of those lower-rated uh, people because, I mean, let's face it, what, Mark Messier never scored an overtime goal in the playoffs? I don't think Mario Lemieux did. So it's not based on Gordy Howe. It's not based on skill. They're, they're very random events. So, so who's your go-to Bruin? If you had to pick one for an overtime, you know, it, it could be any game. You got to pick a yeah. Bruin. Who are you picking? Right. I, I would probably, you know, Marshan's just the guy who's in a lot of places in a dirty area, deflections, hit off his shin guard, has a good shot. Obviously, there's a, he'll play a lot. So those are certainly factors, and the odds would be in your favor. And also, you know, again, probably someone like, someone like a Carlo who can get a shot through not going to score a lot, so people aren't going to take him a lot. But, you know, so certainly a main guy like Amarshan, he, he has done his face. He's done very well in overtime. And uh, and certainly, like I said, usually a defenseman who takes a shot from the point. We saw, you know, St. Louis Blues have a defenseman uh, get an overtime goal in the Stanley Cup final. So that kind of guy just getting the shot on net kind of thing with lots of traffic. It's a good play is usually a fourth or sixth defenseman. My obvious one would be a guy like a Marshan Bergeron. A not so obvious yeah. one would be a Charlie Coyle or a Connor Clifton. There's just yep. those two that I just mentioned, Clifton and Coyle, have a weird way of scoring big goals. Sean Corrali yeah, as well. Sure. I just Sean yeah. Corrali's another. Yeah. Um, I like Clifton because he's daring and he's uh he's a, you know, he's a right-handed shot. He's very aggressive, but I, I like that too. Plus, former Quinnipiac Bobcat as well. Yes, former Quinnipiac Bobcat. Um. So, hockey at ESPN, I just want to wrap up with this. Um, you're obviously a huge proponent of hockey uh, at ESPN. What is the future of hockey with you guys? It's hard to say. You know, the TV contract after this year opens up for bidding. Um, so, anybody out there, and whether you're a, a TV network like ESPN or Fox or Apple or Google or Amazon, if they want to get in the game, I mean, let's face it; those guys can buy every right for every sport. They got all the cash. That's true. So, uh, so you you just don't know. I think ESPN's appetite is pretty good. Um, you know, with ESPN Plus, with the game and the ratings and the demographic and everything, I was thinking. Yeah, we tried to. They bid on it very aggressively last time the TV deal was up. NBC had a right to match, so they matched. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't. You know, I certainly hope. I would think they would. You know, at least tip their toes in the water and see, like I said, this time next year, it'll be opened up. It'll be an exciting time in this country. Kind of, you know, reporting on that and, and other, more other people reporting on it and, and talking about it and theorizing who might get it. Will, will, be, will the NHL go to a multiple package system like other sports? And, you know, will some networks just want to do a game a week and who's going to get the finals and who's going to get the all-star game? So I think it's going to be a, I think Gary Bettman is looking forward
forward to it. I think this is what he lives for. CBA negotiations and TV deals. Uh, it's, it's, it's the most important part of his job because that's how he makes and saves the owner's money. And so this is, this is, I, I'm sure he's very interest, very excited about taking all these offers from different people and piecing it together and, and trying to figure out how he can maximize it, you know, with the CBA also around the corner. So it's, I think, I think Gary Bettman that this is a, a big, couple years for him and it could be kind of his swan song in some ways uh probably the last really huge important section and uh of his nhl commissioner career are these next few years i think he will one hit a home run and i hope that includes not having a work stoppage because you know that that would be obviously a good thing for him and his resume and his, and, and his uh his whole career there so Hit the home run with the U.S. TV deal, then get the CBA signed with no work stoppage. That could really be for him a, a crowning jewel to a you know, pretty successful career as commissioner. Yeah, who doesn't love negotiating CBA deals and TV deals for their uh, if you're, for their full time job? If you're a lawyer, if you're a lawyer, you love it. You live for it. Some people live for litigation. They live for arguments. They live for it, and that's most lawyers do. And he's obviously a lawyer, and and he likes confrontation. He likes the battle. He's no problem with it. So, yeah, for him, this gets his blood flowing. Oh, yeah. It's funny, though. You mentioned uh, Google or Amazon or, or, or Apple possibly having, you know, um, the rights to games. I mean, that would really be a complete shift in – in network television and sports television in some ways, because it, you know, I mean, some of those platforms have games here and there, but if they bought the rights, that would be a whole new, that would really be taking, you know, broadcasting into 2020 into the next generation. It would feel like, am I right? Yeah. I mean, the world's changing fast streaming. Now, now, if you're in the NHL, you want to balance maximizing money but you also still want distribution. They'll need to be convinced there'll be similar distribution to, you know, your, your, whether it's NBC or ESPN or, or whatever they can provide in terms of 70, 80, 90 million homes. Yeah. So that's important to the NHL as well, but certain, so that's going to be the balance, but yeah, it's taking this deal into the next part of uh, technology is certainly part of it. We, we know technology changes fast. Who knows? what some of these technology companies even have on the drawing board that we as commoners don't even realize going to happen. Um, so they might have something. They might take that to the negotiating table and they say, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to maximize it. This is what's going to happen in two years when this technology comes. And, they'll be, and you know, they can have those conversations that really perhaps regular TV networks can't have because they, they obviously don't have that that information and, and such. So I think it's going to be very interesting. And like I said, maybe those, those type of places don't want and don't have the stomach for, for just doing games and all those games and staffing people and, and everything, but, but they might. So it's going to be, it's going to be really, I think, a, a interesting time to watch. And I certainly hope ESPN gets a piece. I'd love to stay with the company long-term and kind of shift from sports center to doing play-by-play. And certainly hockey would be my, my primary preference. And so I'll be watching certainly this time next year when it really starts to heat up and the, and, and the reports start coming out. And then suddenly we have that you know, decision when the NHL decides who we're going to go with. And that's going to really affect a lot of lives. And you obviously call the uh, NCAA uh, Division One hockey tournament, as you did last year. You called uh, – I'm a, I'm a UMass guy. You called 
uh, yeah. the, the, the Mark Del Gaizo game, uh, uh, overtime winner, which was just absolutely an unreal call by you. I mean, that was, oh, that was crazy. People, every time Mark Del Gaizo gets brought up, it's always watch out, watch out. So it's, uh, it's, it's really, it, it, it would be awesome if you guys, if you guys got it. Cause you guys, the worldwide leader would be awesome. if You guys got hockey, but, uh, John, thank you for your time. Um, and, and thank you for talking some bees here as the season's just about to get going. Do you want to plug anything of your work before I let you go? <laughs> uh, not really. Just looking forward to, uh, like you said, the college hockey season. I've done the last seven frozen fours. I uh, haven't seen our regular season schedule yet. It should be out soon. I hope we do a few games, especially Wisconsin. They're loaded with NHL talent. I think they're the team to watch in college hockey. So I guess I would just plug, you know, watch NHL hockey, but also keep an eye on college hockey. It's a great game with future NHL players and, uh, uh, I just just keep loving hockey, and uh, and, uh, and that's enough of a plug for me. That sounds amazing. I would I would give the same plug. I would say the same things. <laughs> Anyways, thank you so much, John. And for CLNS Media, I'm Evan Marinovsky. You listeners have a tremendous rest of your week. Mm-hmm.